You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I, as every week, am your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is July 22nd? <laughs> I'm lying to you. It's July 21st as I'm recording this, but you're not even going to be listening to this till at least the 23rd. So what's a day really matter? What, am I going to go to hell? I mean, what? You're all going to be there with me! So, eh, who cares? Anyway, <laughs> it is July 22nd, right? And I have a great show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about, uh, well, it's actually a chapter in The Secret Life of a Satanist by Blanche Barton, uh, The Invisible Revolution. Uh, I'm going to be talking about that in Infernal Informant, All Explosives Removed from Colorado Shooting Suspects Apartment. Oh, yeah, I'm jumping on this Joker, Batman attacker. I don't know, creative mass murderer <laughs> story. And uh, I'm going to be also bringing you the article, Troops March in San Diego Gay Parade in Uniform. That's right. So, uh, at the very tail end of the show here, Creature Feature, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Get the Gringo. Now, this is a, a movie that's out. <laughs> Mel Gibson... Love this guy uh, for all his absurdity, and uh, he's a really great action actor. So I'm going to be talking about that show and sort of the retarded nature of a lot of the scenes. And I think that's going to do it for the show. I may have a bizarre bizarre at the end. I'm not sure yet. We'll we'll see when we get there. But what I would like to do right now is speak to a comment I made that has been brought up uh, via email. And first of all, let me thank everyone who emails me and responds to my shows, uh, either through email or uh, via social networking. Thank you very much. I appreciate that interaction. I like hearing, if you don't like the show, I like hearing uh, your contesting my opinions. And, uh, you know, just just the interaction itself, I think, is amazing. Nine Cents is always meant to be a an isolated perspective uh, of, of what I see, you know, going on around me through a very satanic lens, or at least as I see uh, a satanic lens. And, and I say that because <laughs> I am a Satanist. <laughs> so, you know, I can't really hide that lens fact uh, from anything. But because Satanism is such a large tent, there's a lot of people under it that don't agree with virtually anything that I've ever said in my entire life, or continue to say, or will say. So I, I do truly appreciate it when you respond to me and challenge my ideas or my thoughts. Uh, I'm not going to go and uh, tell, speak to who this is, but the idea was, or, or the line was, uh, in a transition between stories, I had said um, something along the lines of life is liberal in and of itself, and it's our interpretation of life or existence that adds a conservative bent to it. And the response I got was um, political in nature uh, or philosophical in nature, which whenever you're talking about uh, philosophy or 
politics and you use words like liberal or conservative, it has very direct meanings. And I was talking about life, so I wasn't I wasn't talking about politics or um, really anything like that. I, I was talking about existence, as it were. So let me sort of give you why I said what I said and, and what I meant by it, because I was not trying to say that that reality itself is liberal, as in the political movement. I was simply saying reality is not strict or rigorous. It is free, and it is not literal. That uh, being a liberal interpretation of a rule, and that's from dictionary.com. Um, that's what I meant. As in liberal, <laughs> meaning life, reality itself, gives everything. It, meaning, infinite possibility. And it's how you react to it that will guarantee success, uh, whether that's through uh, ritual, uh, lesser magic, um, your professional life, your personal life, your relationships, uh, your, your general interaction with everything in it, uh, meaning reality in life. So, so that's sort of what I meant. I, I wasn't trying to push some, I don't, I don't know, uh, philosophical or political angle to anything. And then, uh, uh, meaning... Uh, conservative, you know, it, it is our interpretation of life and reality that pushes a conservative um, uh, feel on things. And that's meaning, you know, sort of having the power or tendency to conserve or preserve, uh, to use or manage uh, wisely or preserve or to save. Um, reality, it does you know, okay, speaking of the world itself, goes through cycles. Nature itself goes through cycles. Um, but at no point does it sort of hold back on any particular cycle just so that it can get through the next cycle. It, you know, if, if there's a wildfire, there's nothing that stops it except for our interaction with that wildfire. Nature itself lets nature happen. So, if we are going to um, uh, interact with reality or with life, well, whether anything can be conserved, meaning saved or held back or rationed out or uh, appreciated for the longer than the uh, natural intended time, um, meaning preserving life, for example, that's all our doing. That's all our impressions and, and interaction with reality and life. That, that's not a natural thing. So that's what I mean when I say life itself is liberal and it is our interpretation or interaction with it that makes uh, conservative uh, ideology or, or intention or um, motion. So I, I hope that clarifies it a little bit. I mean, if you want to speak uh, politically, I'm very much a social liberal. I have. I, I don't see why anyone can't do anything that they want to do. I think uh, the only reason, and I'm sort of in line here with uh, Anton Lavey on this one, we should be we should be stratifying our lives, uh, stratification in essence, because of because of ethics, not because of ethnicity, and that's a very, in my opinion, liberal perspective. And so socially, I'm a very much a liberal. Fiscally. Uh, when it comes to money, when it comes to 
this sort of made-up idea of, of uh, economy and uh, capitalism. I'm very much a conservative. <laughs> I'm not in line with a democratic or a republican platform. I am not in line with, even with libertarian, because I think there's a, there's a role for government, very much so, more than um, that, that party spouses. I'm very much an independent, and I, I would argue that I'm an independent because I'm a Satanist, because I can see the world through a different perspective, through a, a bit of a different lens, a little sharper focus at times, because I question all things, because I do believe in stratification and the goal of that, and I'm going to be speaking to that specifically this week in The Devil's Advocate. So, you know, when it comes politically, I, I'm, I'm not exactly, you know, on your liberal side. I'm not exactly on your conservative side. I'm a little bit in between, and I think most of the people on this planet are. It, I, I think it's, it's someone who doesn't want to think for themselves. Really, the true definition of herd mentality that identifies solely with a political party, because there is no way that a polit- one of, in any of the political parties we have falls in line with your life in every aspect. So why would you get behind something that doesn't, you know, espouse everything that you believe at once? You know? So anyway, um, that's politics. That's, <laughs> that's what I meant by it. Uh, thank you so much again for contacting me. I appreciate it. And I will reach out to you via email with the other specifics that you had spoken to. I just thought it would be interesting to talk about uh, right before the show here. And uh, you know what? Right before the show, I was looking at Old Nick Magazine. <laughs> That's right. Old Nick Magazine. I love this. Okay, so the Hot as Hell Summer issue is out. Go to oldnickmagazine.com. And I'm going to explain one thing, just one of the many things, and it's not about women either, that I like about Old Nick Magazine. It's just one of the little articles that it's really at the very beginning of the magazine, and it's a lot of fun. Every issue, there's seven somethings that they talk about relating to sin or evil or, you know, just lust or something. Well, this time, it's Seven Cities of Sin, and it talks about traveling to these seven locations. And just as a little teaser, it it sort of breaks it up by days of the week, which is the seven. Uh, Monday, Amsterdam. Tuesday, Pattaya. Uh, Assuming I'm saying that right, that's in Thailand. Uh, Wednesday, New Orleans. Uh, Or New Orleans. Sorry, people. Don't freak out over my pronunciation. I am in Utah, after all. Um, Okay, so there's seven of them. Check out Old Nick Magazine for yourself. Go pick it up. OldNickMagazine.com. You can get a digital copy via MagCloud. Um, That's uh, HP MagCloud. But just go to OldNickMagazine.com. There's links to get it. But, you know, that's one of the things I love about it. Um, It takes a day of the week and applies some form of sin or (laughs) really... Uh, creative evil interpretation of some idea. And, you know, gives you a nice little spin on it. And hey, who doesn't like women, right? Okay, so gay guys don't like women. But even gay guys would appreciate stuff like this. So, you know, if, if you're all about the dudes, hey, I love you for it. You know, being an individual, you know, being true to yourself, that's awesome. Still read this for the article. Yeah, you could be the cliche. <laughs> Why wouldn't you, right? Right? <laughs> Alright, so uh, let's go ahead and start the show. We're 12 minutes in and I'm just ranting anyway, so The Devil's Advocate starts now.
to say why bother. How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Hey, how about we talk about the Invisible Revolution? I love this chapter. It it really culminates Satanism in action for me. So I was actually researching The Invisible War, which was an essay in Apocalypse Culture, but I came across this, and it, it touched on that briefly, so I'll talk about that in detail another time. But this touched on a few things that I thought were really, really great and I wanted to talk to. So... In Invisible Revolution, uh, Blanche Barton actually wrote it, um, culmination of Anton LaVey's thoughts and ideas here. He touches on the idea that people get rewarded for what they can't do, not for what they can. And you see that a lot in our culture. And I've spoken to it uh, ad nauseum in this podcast where you get participation awards. Everyone is special. And when everyone is special, no one is special. So there, there's really no individuality. It's, it's, it's herd mentality in action and is pervasive in our culture. It, not just in our American culture, in every culture, because, because our culture has tried to homogenize all of the inhabitants of that culture. When everyone is similar, then there will be peace and happiness. Guess what? No, no. It means that there's no, uh, th there's no individuality. There's no creativity. There's no drive. It it's it's really the exact opposite of what Satanism and living and I mean life in general means. I mean, at, at our base, we are animals. It's a very satanic core principle. Uh, one of the nine satanic statements who uh, are, are better, sometimes worse, uh, than uh, those who walk on all fours. And th this is exactly the problem. What Anton LaVey speaks to um, throughout this, this chapter is that naturally, if, if people came up to you and they were bothering you, uh, in nature, he gives an example of a monkey, um, you know, going up and pinching and biting and tearing up other people's uh, other monkeys' um, beds and, you know, bugging them and their children and stuff, then they would get run out of the, the little group they're in if they've done it. If it happens in our culture, in human culture, well, you have to love your neighbor. And you just sort of, you know, you're polite and, you, you know, you, you try to get them to leave you alone as much as possible or you have your uh, law institutions handle it. But all they really do is lock them up for a little while and then let them loose again so that they can, can continue this sort of absurd uh, distraction and, and uh, aggression against the rest of the species. 
No, no, no. In nature, they are removed entirely. And that's what we need to be thinking of doing. And, and this is what he speaks to specifically here with stratification. Anton LaVey states that stratification is the cornerstone of contemporary satanic activity. It is the removing of groups of people, the, the isolating of groups. In fact, he says isolation, abdication, and stratifications are the weapons are the satanic weapons against the invisible war. The satanic Bible is, is filled with some really amazing ideas. In this chapter, they speak to the idea of Satanists being actually chromosomally different than the rest of the uh, human population. That, and that's what they mean when, when he says that Satanists are born and not made. We are actually different thinking, different beings. And he actually touches on, and this is sort of a little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit standoffish uh, when presenting it, the idea of of breeding Satanists. And in fact, in the uh, uh, Complete Witch and the Satanic Ritual, he suggests, uh, you know, how to choose the appropriate mate. Uh, in Satanic Rituals, he talks about how we need to um, breed uh, greater Satanists, and this is all for that watchword, stratification. Separating the herd, which is forcing its ridiculous and crazy ideas of of peace and understanding and everyone getting along and everyone wearing the same shoes and having the same phone and this, this real vanilla existence. I, I'm imagined of the movie Wall-E. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's a Disney show. It's actually kind of good, but there's this human civilization that's moved into space, and they're pretty much controlled by corporate interests, told what colors to wear, what drinks to drink, what foods to eat, and they're just sort of going along like sheep because that's what their society, what our society has evolved into. Are we that far from here? I, we're, we're told commercially, I'm in the business of advertising, so I do it for a living, which is a little ironic that I'm bitching about it now. But <laughs> point being, uh, I'm not pushing a uh, Islamic Judeo-Christian agenda, which is really, if you look at mankind for thousands of years, has been doing violently at times, which is also ironic that Satanism gets pinned for all these, and they also touch on in this uh, chapter, for all of these violent crimes. Because really, the the one every couple of years you hear that has been blamed on Satanism, which really has nothing to do with Satanism, but is blamed on it, is that any comparison to the whole history of the Judeo-Christian culture of violence? Really? <laughs> but but now it's, it's not okay because it's not a Judeo-Christian uh, excuse for killing. Right? It's, it's not justified in their book. Well, that's absurdity. We need to stratify our culture. We need to separate the, the herd, everyone's a participation award winner, from those of actual potential, actual uh, expression and, and success. 
All right, so that idea that we are chromosomally different, that we were born Satanists, that we are the alien elite, does bloviate some people's, uh, you know, perspectives of themselves. Uh, you get someone who is of less talent reading something like that and starting to believe it, and they do ridiculous things because they think, well, I am wonderful. And this is actually a lot of the things uh, they, they speak to in this article a lot of the situations where crimes are blamed on Satanism because there's a Satanic Bible present or something like that. It's because these fringe ideas that there are special people in this world. And as LaVey says, it's, it's like one-tenth of a percent of people that are actually like natural-born leaders and uh, people of worth. Satanists. Whether they recognize it or understand it or not that actually exist. And so if you tie yourself in with that and you're really not that, but you're claiming it, well, that gives you an overdeveloped sense of purpose and pride and, and accomplishment. And this is what we find in a lot of pseudos. Um, but a lot of criminals also use that as justification. Well, we also have to keep in mind that Satanism has that very powerful statement, responsibility to the responsible. <laughs> You have to live within the laws of the society you live. Does that make sense to anyone? <laughs> okay, so he speaks to... Satanism is not just an atheistic stance, but an anti-theistic stance. We prefer destruction of mystically-oriented religions through active opposition rather than simple non-participation. Now, that doesn't mean, and I think anyone with any head on their shoulders can understand that that doesn't mean to go out and kill anyone. I mean, you have to look at the other large portions of Satanism saying responsibility they're responsible, for example, when you're reading stuff like this. And this is why you get those criminals who, who, who use this as justification. And just like they use uh, sayings like Aleister Crowley's um, uh, do as thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Well, that was just one small portion of what he was saying. Just like this is just one small portion of what Anton LaVey was saying. It's not saying to go out and murder and, and, and do anything against the law, but it is saying that we prefer destruction of mystically oriented religions through active opposition. Not the destruction through actively destroying. <laughs> so we have to understand active opposition, not just not participating. So when there has been a, uh, a tally for the taxation of politically-minded uh, churches, it, it was uh, um, uh, uh, the, the White House put it up as a proposition. A, a lot of people signed it, but every Satanist should be signing it. And it doesn't mean that you're aligning yourself with the current administration. It means that you're aligning yourself with the pentagonal revisionist view that Satanism holds up high. That is our political action in action, political ideas in action, uh, pentagonal revisionism, taxation of churches. And if we can start with the politically motivated churches, then we can move on to the regular, non-politically motivated, just... Uh, painful parts of the problem churches the the islamic judeo mystic oriented religions that are really destroying the spark of human ingenuity in life i mean they say that that, that, that satanism loves death it is the christian ideals that love death we understand that death is inevitable 
and therefore cherish the moments we have in life. And if those moments in life are dumbed down and uh, made into oatmeal because of other people, well, we want to stratify ourselves from those people. We want to separate ourselves, segregate ourselves into our own communities. The pentagonal revisionism ideas are core. And that's touched on as well in this article. I'm, I'm sort of going off on a lot of different tangents. Um, that's really at the core of what this article does. It's it's Satanism in action through an invisible revolution. And it is touched on brilliantly by Blanche Barton through Anton LaVey. If you haven't gotten picked up The Secret Life of a Satanist, I, I have no idea whether it's available or not right now. Um, but it was published by Feral House. Check it out on the secondary market if it's not available on the first primary market. And... Uh, you're not going to regret it. Let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. Listen up! Listen up! Hey, Good news! And no devil! Bad news! Else, no heaven! There's nothing to see! I'm your Infernal Informant! Alright, first up, we have all explosives removed from Colorado shooting suspects' apartment. Now, this is a temporary headline, um compiled on this article about the Colorado shooting at the Dark Knight premiere. This is by Jana Winter on foxnews.com, published July 22. Um, So they actually adjusted the article title now, Police Describe Colorado Shooting as Calculated and Deliberate, Say It May Have Been Planned for Months. Aurora, Colorado. Police say that they believe the suspect in a deadly shooting at a Colorado movie theater planned the attack with calculation and deliberation as they removed all explosives from his booby-trapped apartment. Yeah. No shit. Okay, so the guy actually has neck guards, groin guards, smoke grenades. uh, I mean, he has a a lot of different types of weapons I'm sure we're going to go into here in a second. Of course it was calculated and deliberate. It wasn't just some guy that had, I don't know, choked on a peanut, saw Mr. Peanut on TV, got crazy pissed off, and ran down and started shooting people. Although Mr. Peanut does bring that out, I've heard. (laughs) The suspect, James Holmes, is accused of going on a shooting rampage at the movie theater during Friday midnight's showing of The Dark Knight Rises, killing 12 people dead and injuring 58. He was packing as many as 6,000 rounds of ammunition with the ability to shoot up to 50 a minute, police said. Fox News has learned a possible second person of interest in the case is also being investigated. Those sources, caution authorities, are not yet sure if the individual is necessarily tied to the crime. That was a weird weird sentence. In a statement to Fox News early Sunday, the Aurora Police Department confirmed an associate of Holmes has been interviewed in relation to the case, but at this time, they do not believe he was involved. The person who owns the home where the reported person of interest lives, tells FoxNews.com investigators, are looking for his tenant because they have interviewed all students from Holmes's program, and his tenant is the only one who haven't been able to reach. However, the landlord said he believes the tenant has been in Korea for weeks. Earlier Saturday, authorities eliminated all the explosives in Holmes' booby-trapped apartment. No officials were injured in the process. This is funny. I'm going to sort of go back to that last part. Uh, So, someone does something like this, and police go and interview people who knew this person. And so they can't find one of them. Fox News says it's now a person of interest, and they're looking for him, and he's nowhere to be found. Even though the landlord said that the dude's been in Korea for weeks, he's still a person of interest. 
The dude wasn't even in fucking town. And l- let's say it does pan out the way Fox News is uh, suggesting through, through their carefully worded article that there are two people in relation to this case. But if not, they're soiling this person's name simply because he's in Korea. <laughs> I mean, how shitty. And they word it that way just in case on the off chance that this guy or this girl who's in Korea or is not in Korea is involved. Just in case. So they can say, well, we had the first scoop. Oh, reporting. Aurora Police Sergeant Cassidy Carlson said the booby trap tripwire at his apartment was meant to kill the first person who opened the door to the apartment. The Aurora Police Chief said the trap was meant specifically to kill a police officer who might have opened the door. We sure as hell are angry, Chief Dan Oates said about the trap being armed at officers. Nice. Oates also apparently tied, tried to head off a mental incompetence defense by saying Holmes was deliberate and calculating in receiving numerous commercial deliveries to his home and workplaces over the past four months. It's nice how... Okay, there, there, there's no denying that this guy did this. and But what they're doing, instead of... And this is sort of weird because in our legal system, we have that idea of innocent until proved guilty. We know he's guilty, but our system has to approach it in that way, innocent until proven guilty. What these police officers are doing is approaching it as he's guilty and he's, we're going to try to head off his uh, legal defense, his potential legal defense, by putting out in articles specific verbiage suggesting that uh, that potential plea of insanity would uh, be headed off or absurd or untrue. Why don't you just do your doggone job and, and let the lawyers worry about the lawyering? You are a police officer. Collect evidence. Tag it, mark it, and run data. Find out what you need to know by beating the street with your doggone feet and talking to the witnesses and those involved in this person and stop trying to worry about whether or not his trial is going to or not going to uh, call some weird, I don't know, incompetence or insanity plea. That's none of your fucking business. Just do your job. And what does that say? I mean, is he trying to be... And Is this common? Is this pervasive in our society where all cops suddenly now have to build a case for the lawyers for an ultimate outcome that they want to see rather than just do their job and collect that information so those whose job it is to uh, litigate will be able to? I mean, there's a line. I understand that you're pissed off because this freak tried to kill you by booby-trapping his house. But guess what? You didn't get hurt. You didn't get killed. So your fury is meaningless. Do not do your job pushing for an ultimate outcome. Let the judge and let the lawyers and let the facts do that. It just drives me crazy that that this is what they're they're working on. They're working on his defense already. uh, Or against his defense already. Uh, Just do your fucking job, dude. This is some serious stuff that our team is dealing with, Sergeant Carlson said. Witnessing... Our witnesses have reported hearing two small booms during the disarming process. Holmes' apartment was loaded with explosives, and authorities say they will not know for sure what is inside until they enter and test results come back from an FBI lab. A robot was sent in to disarm and defuse the major threats as well as remove evidence. 
Initial attempts to enter the apartment Friday were unsuccessful. The FBI, ATF, and local authorities are working together to enter the apartment. There are still unknowns. We're not exactly sure of everything that's in there, Sergeant Carlson said. The unknown include jars that are believed to contain accelerants. Authorities say that there are balloons filled with gunpowder and bullets littered throughout the floor. The first phase, which according to officials was successful, was to render the area safe and address the immediate threats of the wire trip booby trap. The public has been warned that parts of the phases may cause loud booms and have planned for reverse 911 calls of the area so that many of the public may remain informed. The second phase would be dispose of the aerial shells, which will include placing the devices into sand trucks and taking to a disposal site for controlled detonation. Authorities believe there may be up to as many as 30 shells. The third phase will be the investigation of the apartment itself. There's no timeline. There's no end time, Sergeant Carlson said. We don't need to rush anything, she said. Ah, Sergeant Carlson's a woman. Authorities said Saturday they hoped to begin allowing residents back into their homes by Sunday. They also said they hoped to finish with the investigation as the movie theater, uh, I'm sorry, at the movie theater by Monday, with the goal of handing the theater back to the owners by Wednesday. Relatives of two of the twelve dead confirmed late Friday that their loved ones were killed during the midnight showing of The Dark Knight Rises. The family of Alex Sullivan issued a statement confirming his death. He died on his 27th birthday. 23-year-old Michaela Medek was also among the dead. Her father's cousin, Anita Bush, says the sad news at least brought peace to the family. The brother of Jessica Gawi previously confirmed his sister's death. He looked like an assassin ready to go to war, said Jordan Crofter, a moviegoer who was unhurt in the attack early Friday, about a half hour after the special midnight opening of The Dark Knight Rises. Holmes used a military-style semi-automatic rifle, a shotgun, and a pistol, stopping only to reload. The suspect marched up the aisle in the stadium theater, picking off those who tried to flee, witnesses said. Authorities said he hit scores of people, with a few of the 70 victims suffering their injuries not by gunfire, but by the ensuing chaos. At least one person was struck in an adjacent theater by gunfire that went through the wall. He would reload and shoot anyone who would try to leave would just get killed said Jennifer Seeger, adding the bullet casings landed on her head and burned her forehead. Within minutes, frantic emergency services calls brought some 200 police officers, ambulances, and emergency crews to the theater. Holmes was captured in the parking lot and remains in police custody. Police said they later found that his nearby apartment was booby-trapped. Authorities gave no motive for the attack. The FBI said that there was no indication of ties to any terrorist groups. In New York City, Police Commissioner Raymond Kelly said it clearly looks uh, like a dangered individual. He has his hair painted red. He said he was the Joker, obviously the enemy of Batman. It was the worst mass shooting in the U.S. since the November 5, 2009 attacks at Fort Hood, Texas. An army psychiatrist was charged with killing 13 soldiers and civilians and wounding more than two dozen others. It was the deadliest in Colorado since the Columbine High School massacre in suburban Denver in 1999, when two students killed 12 classmates and a teacher and wounded 26 others before killing themselves. The latest shooting rocked this sprawling suburb of 325,000 east of Denver. A makeshift memorial of 12 candles in a row and piles of flowers sat at the corner near the entrance of the movie theater parking lot. Uh, up the hill from there, about 20 pastors led an emotional vigil for about 350 people while hugging and crying. Wait, wait, I don't, I don't understand that. What is it about death 
that makes people want to move into a community of mourners and celebrate because that's that's what they're doing. They're, they're celebrating the death of, of their loved ones. I never really understood that. And I, I don't think... I mean, my, my father is dead, but I wasn't there. I was in boot camp when I heard it, learned of it. Um, but I didn't want a community of people. I wanted to work through it in within myself, in, in my head. When I was in high school, a friend of mine committed suicide. And I... I I really shunned away from the group mentality because the group mentality, and I've spoken to this briefly before, was all about being the biggest mourner, the the most affected, and that somehow gave them popularity in this group of mourners. It was it was disgusting. In my opinion, it was vile, and I want nothing of that. So when people are wounded, when they have loved ones that die, and they go into a huge mass group where there's 20 pastors, because one's not enough, I don't know why, and everyone's crying and hugging each other, your loved ones are still dead. And guess what? Out of those 350 people, maybe three of them actually really give a damn because they're affected by your loss. They're all internalizing their own pain because of their own losses. Uh, When my friend killed himself and I went through this weird phase, I was uh, picked up by a police officer from my home, And he made very clear, no one cares that your friend killed himself. I don't care that your friend killed himself. Your mom doesn't care that your friend killed himself. She cares how it's affecting you, but she doesn't care about your friend. And that's the reality of the world we live in. When 9-11 struck, I wasn't upset because people were killed. I was upset because we were attacked. There's a significant difference. And yeah, I may sound cold, But in this case, I don't care that these people were killed. I have no personal connection with them. It means less than anything to me. What concerns me is what's going to come out of this and possible legislation that may come out of this. So the event itself means less than anything. What happens or or what means uh, occur after that event. That's, or, or the message of the event itself. That's what's important. Because that's what can potentially affect me individually. And yeah, it sounds cold. And no, I didn't reach out and say, oh, I'm so sorry for everyone that died or everyone that was lost. And maybe maybe I'm just a, a disturbed individual for not caring. But we have a lot of worthless people on this planet. Disease, nature, war, all take care of them in one way or another. And every once in a while, we're going to lose someone of worth, but the majority of the time, it's not going to be people of worth. I I mean, it's a harsh reality that we have to face. How many of the people, the 17 people, I believe, that died, how many of them, let's talk percentages, uh, the 12 people that died, let's talk percentages. How many of those 12 do you think were of actual worth contributing greatly to the society in one way or another? Statistically, I wouldn't say any of them. Of wounded, of like the 58 wounded or something like that, maybe two. Maybe. (laughs) It's cruel to look at it that way, maybe. But that's how I look at it. So yes, it's unfortunate that those people were there and that this freak went in there thinking he was, I don't know, the Joker, maybe. Maybe he just wanted to be famous, which is why he didn't go out in a blaze of glory and he actually gave up instead. 
Uh, either way, is it a tragedy that should push legislation in one way or another? I don't know. We're going to see in coming uh, weeks, especially because it's an election year, whether it will or not. And, yeah, people are going to be freaking out about this. They're going to lose their shit over this because uh, the far liberals are going to push for um, more legislation restricting guns. The far right is going to be biting those hands. They're going to be fighting tooth and nail to stop any proposed legislation. And in the middle, the rest of us are going to be confused as to why there should even be a debate. Why a citizen should have a fully automatic weapon. Really? (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm anti-guns, because I'm not. I'm actually pro-gun. But, I don't really understand why you need a fully automatic weapon as a citizen, as a civilian. Ever. Ever. I mean, there are fanatics that believe in, like, Illuminati and police states and the government's going to control your life and they're going to come and lock you up and then you have to have a militia ready. Well, okay. Uh, well, then own a rifle. Own a shotgun. You don't need an AK-47. You don't need an M4. I mean, you don't. But, um, you know, our laws are pushed and accepted that we should be able to have any rights and any freedoms that we want. And though that concept sounds sound until you run into situations like this, and then you realize how not sound it is. And we're so worried about losing our freedom and liberties, these imaginary ideas. Well, if we, if we just lived in, in the violent jungle then, uh, you know, we have to be able to protect ourselves. We live in a cruel world. Well, yes, we do live in a cruel world, but we live in a fucking society, and I don't want the religious nut job next to me having a fully automatic weapon, and then if I, I don't know, have a sigil of Baphomet peeking through my window or hanging from my roof, I get shot because they were threatened. We have to understand that everyone in this world is not sane. The majority of the world believes in an invisible man that created the world. That is not sane. And to think that all of them deserve the same rights that we do, that's insane. That is more insane. (laughs) And if that means that I cannot have a fully automatic rifle, well, okay, you know, big sacrifice there. Because, uh, you know what? It's for my greater good. I don't care about the population's greater good. It's for my greater good. I am a counterculture. I am a very small percentage. I am a minority. I'm white. No. <laughs> no, religiously, I'm a minority. So, uh, I, I have to think in terms of the minority. How it's going to affect me. There are a lot of nut jobs that are religious, and so you have to be careful about who you, uh, you know, reach out to. That I mean, Satanism is not about martyrdom. We are intelligently moving through our lives. (laughs) So we have to look at legislation through that lens. And if we do that, well, then there's some common sense things that we can do. Take uh, legislations that we can propose. And automatic weapons, there's no reason for it. I cannot think of one. If you're going to be owning weapons and shooting, well, it's either for protection um, of invasion of your personal property or your hunting. In neither case do you need more than one. 
One shot, one kill. If you cannot hit your target with one shot, you should not be carrying a rifle in the first place. So it doesn't matter. The new Batman movie, The Last of the Trilogy, starred Christian Bale. <clears throat> yeah, let's go over the movie because that's what people want to hear about. Opened worldwide Friday with midnight shootings in the U.S. The plot has the villain Bane facing Bale's caped crusader with a nuclear weapon that could destroy all of fictional Gotham. The shooting prompted officials to cancel the red carpet premiere in Paris, and some U.S. movie theaters stepped up security for daytime showings. The film director, Christopher Nolan, issued a statement on behalf of the cast and crew expressing their profound sorrow at the senseless tragedy, noting, Nothing any of us can say could ever adequately express our feelings for the innocent victims of this appalling crime, but our thoughts are with them and their families, Nolan said. Words cannot express the horror that I feel. I cannot begin to truly understand the pain and grieving of the victims and their loved ones, but my heart goes out to them, actor Christian Bale said in a statement. The attack began shortly after midnight at the multiplex in Aurora. Audience members said that they thought it was part of the movie or some kind of stunt associated with it. The film had several scenes of public mayhem, a hallmark of superhero movies. In one scene, Bane leads an attack on a stock exchange, and in another, he leads a shooting and bombing rampage in a packed football stadium. A federal law enforcement official said Holmes brought a ticket to the show, went into the theater as part of the crowd, and propped open an exit door as the movie was playing. The suspect then donned protective ballistic gear and opened fire, the official said, speaking in a condition of anonymity to discuss the ongoing investigation. At some point, the government appeared to have stepped outside because several witnesses saw him come through the door. All I saw is the door swing open and the streetlights behind and you could see a silhouette, said Crofter, who was sitting on the left side of the theater and towards the front. Sylvan Gillian said the gunman, clad in dark clothing, appeared at the front of the theater as the character Catwoman appeared in the movie. Then they heard shot gunshots and smelled smoke from a canister he was carrying. As she and her friend Misha Mustachiri, <laughs> Mustachiri? ran into the exit, Gillian said. They saw a man slip in the blood of a wounded woman he was trying to help. Oates said the gunman wore a gas mask and a ballistic helmet and vest, and as well as leg, groin, and throat protectors. He said he had brought guns from local shops in the last 60 days and 6,000 rounds of ammunition, including a drum magazine that could fire 50 to 60 rounds a minute. My understanding is that all the weapons that he possessed, he possessed legally. And all the clips that he possessed, he possessed legally. And all the ammunition that he possessed, he possessed legally, Oates said at the press conference Friday. Seeger said she thought it was a showmanship. I didn't think it was real, Seeger said. She said she was in the second row, four feet from the gunman, when he pointed a gun at her face. It was just deer in the headlights. I didn't know what to do, she said. Then she ducked to the ground as the gunman shot people seated behind her. Seeger said she began crawling toward the exit when she saw a girl about 14 lying lifeless on the stairs. She saw a man with a bullet wound in the back and tried to check his pulse, but I had to go. I was going to get shot. Later, police began entering the theater, asking people to hold their hands up as they evacuated the building. Some of the victims were treated for chemical exposure, apparently related to canister thrown by the gunman. Those hurt included a four-month-old baby who was treated at a hospital and released. Well, that's good. Authorities started... It's good that she was released from the hospital, not that she was hurt. Uh, authorities stated to remove... The, and, and it's weird, because I, I just done this diatribe about not caring that people were hurt. But when it comes to children, uh, that's, I think, a whole different... Adults have, have, have done their time. They've made a mark whether they're going to be worthy or worthless in life. Um, whether they uh, are contributors or detractors. 
or, or leeches. Whether they're individuals or a herd, babies and children have not yet had the opportunity. Now, I, I highly, <laughs> I would be shocked if this guy was looking to hurt this baby, uh, simply because the baby lived. You know, I mean, he went in there to a theater expecting people, and people normally, I like to hope, don't bring little babies and children to theaters because of the effect that it has on the other people watching, you know, the crying and such. But, you know, it's unlikely this guy wanted to hurt the baby. And it, But it's really great that she wasn't hurt badly. I mean, she was released. Uh, so I, I just wanted to, you know, add that caveat in there because I, I think it's important. I, I am a callous individual. I... I I celebrate apathy in most cases, but when it comes to children, I, I have a real hard problem. I'm sorry, I have a real hard time dealing with um, uh, abuse and pain, you know. Uh, those who knew Holmes described him as a shy, intelligent person raised in California by parents who were active in their well-to-do suburban neighborhood in San Diego. Holmes played soccer at Westview High School and ran cross-country before going to college. On Friday morning, police escorted Holmes' father, a manager of a software company, from their home while his mother, a nurse, stayed inside, receiving visitors who came to offer support. Holmes also has a young sister. As you can understand, the Holmes family is very upset about all of this, Lieutenant Andrew Brown, the San Diego police spokesperson, told reporters in the driveway of their family home. It's a tragic event, and it's taken everyone by surprise. They're definitely trying to work through this police released a statement from his family that said, Our hearts go out to those who were involved in this tragedy and to the families and friends of those involved. There have been no indications so far that Holmes had any run-ins with the law before Friday. Tom Mai, a retired electrical engineer, said Holmes was a shy guy who came from a very, very nice family. Holmes graduated from University of California, Riverside in the spring of 2010, a bachelor degree in neuroscience. A school spokesman said, Mai said the family, uh, the mother, told Holmes, told him that Holmes couldn't find a job after earning a master's degree and returned to school. He enrolled in the PhD in neuroscience program at the University of Colorado, Denver in June 2011, but left the program last month, according to the university. Holmes lived in an apartment in Aurora. The FBI agents and police who were there discovered it was booby-trapped when they used a camera at the end of a 12-foot pole to look inside. Authorities evacuated surrounding residences, and about two dozen people headed to a shelter set up by the Red Cross at the local school. Holmes was in solitary confinement for his protection at a county detention facility Saturday, held without bond on suspicion of multiple counts of first-degree murder. He was set for an initial hearing on Monday and had been appointed a public defender, authorities say. All right. So what do you think? I mean, should we have legislation? Should we uh, do anything? All right. I have to give props to Darren Deaside for pointing, um, making a, a post on this in social networking sites because I, I found it poignant and actually rather brilliant. Uh, I'm reading from the archives.gov. This is the Bill of Rights transcript, uh, the Second Amendment to the Constitution. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A well-regulated militia being necessary. Well-regulated. Is, that, is there a confusion with that? Because if the NRA had their druthers, there would be no regulations. At all. Not a little bit of regulations. 
not some regulations, a well-regulated militia. Now, we have to understand that um, <laughs> the Constitution is not infallible and that the, the framers of our country, uh, you know, they took some liberty with a lot of things, uh, keeping it very vague so that they could have it be accepted by all of the colonies. So there has to be some uh, interpretation involved here. But how much interpretation can there be in a well-regulated militia or no regulations? I mean, that's the Second Amendment. That's the exact reading of the transcript from the government, (laughs) of the U.S. government. You can't get any clearer than that. I think it's obvious. And I don't care what the NRA says, and I don't care what the far right says, um, I'm certainly not concerned, and this goes in line with what I was saying earlier. I do believe that you should have the right to bear arms. I absolutely. It's, it's a constitutional right. It's an amendment, the second one. However, it needs to be well-regulated. And that, it's the, it's the framework of the militia, meaning that you have the right to keep and bear arms. It's not you get the right to bear arms... And then another amendment later says we need to have a well-regulated militia. No, it's a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's that simple. Well-regulated. All right, so anyway, that's my justification for no um, uh, automatic weapons. This whole thing, though unfortunate, will really just be used politically. And if it didn't affect you personally, I don't know why you're crying. I mean, really. Mankind is, is not worth... The majority, the herd, is not worth enough. Certainly not worth my emotional uh, energy. But it's not, it's not really worth it to, to get worked up over something that doesn't... You know, you, have, you should have enough going on in your life. That you're, you're directing your energy in that... <laughs> in that avenue, in that, in that direction. Not you know, spreading your arms out and giving the whole world a big hug for every bad thing that (laughs) happens. Uh, How can you focus on yourself if you're going to do that? All right, the next one here is an Associated Press article. Troops march in San Diego gay parade in uniform. This is 14 hours ago. San Diego. Some of the loudest cheers Saturday at San Diego's Gay Pride Parade were for active duty troops marching in military dress, the first time the U.S. service members participated in such an event while in full uniform. Dozens of soldiers, sailors, and Marines marched alongside an old army truck decorated with Freedom to Serve banner and a rainbow flag. They were joined by dozens more military personnel in civilian clothes. But the uniforms stood out amongst the flower-bedecked floats and scantily clad revelers. Spectators waved signs reading, Thank you for your service. A woman held a placard that said, My gay son is a naval officer. Today is so important, said Navy Lieutenant Brian McKinney, who marched with his civilian partner, Hunter Hammonds. It is all about putting on my uniform and taking pride in my service, my fellow service members, my family, and myself. It's something I'm incredibly thankful for. In a memorandum sent to all its branches this year, the Defense Department said it was making the allowance for the San Diego event, even though its policy generally bars troops from marching in uniform in parades. The Defense Department said Thursday it did so because organizers had encouraged military personnel to march in their uniform and the parade was getting national attention. 
Commander Kent Blade, who will retire this fall after 26 years in the Navy, said being able to march in uniform was a perfect culmination of his career. The 47-year-old said that since last year's repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell law, he has received unconditional support from his fellow officers. We've all been able to talk more freely about our lives. Nobody's leading a second life, he said. And now that I can march freely in uniform, I think it's a great display for the Navy. About 200 active-duty troops participated in last year's San Diego Gay Pride Parade, but they wore t-shirts with the branch's name, not military dress. About 200,000 people were expected at this week's annual lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Pride Parade and festival in Balboa Park. In addition to the parade, the celebration features parties, concerts, and raising of a rainbow flag on the new 65-foot flagpole in Hillcrest, the center of San Diego's LGBT community. The theme of this year's event is America's pride. Equality is an American value. I hate that saying, equality is an American value. Because it's not! <laughs> I mean, at its core, equality is in, as in meaning everyone has equal rights and protections under the law. Yes. Yes, that is true. But equality, in this context, to me, feels like, uh, well, everyone is as good as everyone else. Everyone is equal. No, everyone is not equal. We have the basic same rights because we're human beings in the society. But some people are better than others. That's just the reality of life. And if you don't believe that, then you are lying to yourself. Because you've seen people that you've looked at and you're like, oh gosh, they are the dregs of humanity. It may have even been me when you're looking at me. So you cannot look at yourself honestly and then look at everyone else in the world and say, yes, we are equal. Because no, you are not. Sometimes you're better, sometimes you're worse than that person you're looking at. But you have to be able to recognize that. Everyone is not equal. America is not a place of equality. We have equality in rights and liberties, but we are not equals. God, it is that mentality that has... If we were all equals, then uh, everyone coming off the boat uh, back in our founding would have uh, had the same right. There wouldn't have been you know, this uh, anti-Jewish uh, or anti Irish or anti-Italian sentiments running throughout our country, or anti-African-American, anti-women, if we equality is an American value. Equality is not an American value. <sighs> Alright, and my only issue with this, because I don't, I have no problem serving with um, gay people, I did, <laughs> my first sergeant was a gay, and she was awesome. I, you know, I, I mean, very, very good soldier. Taught me a lot about being a human being and a soldier. I have no issue with that. Uh, I, I worked with uh, homosexual men. And I got to tell you, some of the greatest compliments I ever had uh, as a sexual human being were from homosexual men. Uh, just the fact that they would find me attractive, you know, enough to hit on me. was, You know, it's, it's, it, it boosts your ego a little bit. It's nice knowing people think you're attractive. But... If it is not okay to march in any parade in full uniform while in active duty, why is it okay to march in a gay rights parade? I don't understand why you're making special anything, special exceptions to this rule. It's very simple. You can march in military parades in full uniform while in active duty, or you can do it when you're no longer in active duty service. 
But to make an exception for a minority simply because it was, as they say in this article, there was national attention on the parade, I think is a cop-out. There, there's such a thing as going too far, as overcorrecting. And we had to correct that uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was bullshit, and not allowing homosexuals into the military was bullshit. But that just means correcting enough to uh, make it so it's not uh, illegal, that it's not unauthorized, and that we can just allow them to serve openly. That doesn't mean breaking military rules to accommodate. You're overcorrecting. So no, at its core, I don't care. It doesn't affect me. It's not a big deal. It's it's, it's just the idea that if you're going to if you're going to overcorrect and um, break regulation in this, what else are you going to do? Because what you're doing is setting precedent. Before you had a precedent of no marching in uniform as an active duty member. Now, that no longer exists. So, by doing that, you're saying that the military complex itself accepts and celebrates the LGBT parade. Okay, well, that, I don't really care about that. That's fine, whatever. I don't think the military should be endorsing anything other than the military and the national defense but, uh, I mean, whatever. I don't think that you should do this because now, now, what if uh, KKK has a rally in full military uniform? They're just doing their right. They're just, you know, they're active duty bigoted soldiers, yes, but they're still soldiers. And, uh, you know, they, they are allowed a voice now. See, one thing that people don't understand is when you are a soldier, when you raise your hand and you swear an oath, you lose constitutional rights that civilians have. You do that, and you do that knowingly. Because you are not allowed the same constitutional rights so that you can protect others' constitutional rights and freedoms. That's what it means to be a soldier. You give up your rights in defense of everyone else's. Because if you have your own feelings and your own rights... Why should you go to the front line and die for your country? Why should you take orders from someone that you don't respect? Why? Suddenly you start questioning everything. And that is the center to an effective military, is that you don't question, you take orders, and you enact those orders. Period. As long as they're legal, you do it. You do not have the same rights and freedoms as a citizen. So I do not think that they should be allowed... Anyone should be allowed, even if you're straight, to walk in this gay pride parade with your active duty military uniform on. Period. You should not. Because straight people can't do it. Bigoted people can't do it. Black people can't do it. White people can't do it. Okay, well, congratulations to those who are now able to live openly in the military. Thank you very much for your service. I, I truly do mean that, and I truly appreciate your sacrifice. Though now, your sacrifice is less than everyone else's. And yes, you know, what, what, a, what, what does it really mean that you get this one right that other people don't get? Well, on its own, not much. But it does mean that you are pointed and in, in, in you're like a special now. Your special exemption to the rule. Is that what you wanted all along? Did you want to be special or did you just want to be equal? Because there is a line and they have now allowed you to cross it. And now I, I hope uh, I hope you're ready for what comes from that. 
women have been living with that that stigma forever. Oh, it's a woman. You know, let's be a little more gentle, a little more kind. Oh, they're gay? Well, let's be a little more PC and gentle and kind. You're no longer a person. You're a gay person. I'm not sure that's worth it. I mean, it, it's easy for me to say that because I'm not. I don't think that's what you... That, that's not what you were looking for in the first place, right? You wanted equality, not overcorrection. So, all right. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump right into the creature feature. I'm running long, so uh, we'll try to wrap this bad boy up. Eh? Oh, God. No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. All right, Get the Gringo. Director Adrian Grunberg. Writers Mel Gibson, Adrian Grunberg, and Stacey Persky. Um, Mel Gibson is back in full force. And if you ever saw Payback, you saw Mel Gibson in full form. Mel Gibson is an amazing, amazing vigilante actor. I mean, he is an action hero on par with Bruce Willis. Uh, really, really fantastic. What you end up seeing him doing is sort of this weird Kevin Costner, Costner epic, you know, actor role thing. But his real, real talent comes out in the shows like Get the Gringo and like Payback. So here's what I loved about this show: it allows Mel Gibson unfiltered restraint. He is uh, celebrated as the uh, dark hero of the picture. Well, let me sort of give you the the rundown of what Get the Gringo is about. And this is going to be an editorial review here. Uh, Academy Award winner Mel Gibson steals the show and anything else he can get his hands on in this explosive, non-stop thrill ride packed with equal parts action and attitude. A career criminal, Gibson, pulls off the heist of a lifetime, but his getaway plans go south of the border when a high-speed car chase lands him in a hardcore Mexican prison community known as El Pueblito. Now, in order to survive... He'll have to fend off corrupt cops, take down ruthless drug lords, and team up with a streetwise ten-year-old who has a few secrets of his own. <laughs> it's, it sounds weird. It's funny because you never actually know what the exact details are of the heist he pulled in order to get all this movie. The, in fact, the whole movie opens in a scene of him in a clown outfit with his partner in crime shot in the backseat dying of internal bleeding. And him being chased from American cops on the border, never tells you which border, uh, to Mexico. And he crashes through that uh, border wall and the dirty uh, Mexican police see the money and end up not handing him over to the United States and trying to bury him in Mexican prison while spending his money and, and stuff like that. Mel Gibson is uh, <laughs> really great in this. I mean, that sort of grimy, grungy, dirty, smoking, inhaling thing uh, that he does. And that may sound weird unless you've seen something like Payback um, or fuck, Lethal Weapon even uh, when he was smoking in that. There's just this really guttural you know, feel to uh, his persona. 
uh, whenever he gets in these really great roles like this. But, you know, Mel Gibson is amazing in this. Uh, his interactions with the kids <laughs> is great. Uh, yeah, in this Mexican prison, some of the families, if you have money as a criminal, you can pay to have your family come in. So there's this weird community in this prison. And it, it creates this really interesting dynamic in that it, it takes it out of what you're used to seeing as, as a prison environment and allows you to tell a really creative story in there. And there is a really creative story that that Mel Gibson's character is sort of caught up into when he's in there. Uh, some weird things about this. Uh, now, obviously, whatever, wherever Mel Gibson's character stole that money from, that crime boss or that guy sent off lackeys to, you know, get the gringo, to get Mel Gibson, uh, to get the money, obviously. And there's this weird scene where the cops that stole Mel Gibson's money and threw him in the Mexican prison... Uh, are caught, and they're being tortured by these uh, lackeys trying to find Mel Gibson. They're cutting off the dude's toe, the cop's toes with, and I'm sort of spoiler here, cutting off the cop's toes with gardening shears, gardening clippers. Uh, and it's just like the snip and a little toe comes popping off, and the guy's screaming, ah, ah! Two seconds later, he's completely calm. <laughs> I mean, just horrible acting. This is very much a B-movie with an A-movie actor in it. But, and I'd say cinematically it's A movie, but content, you know, some of the supporting actors are very much B, B actors. Um, his toes are cut off, and so the, the, uh, they get on like a Skype, or <laughs> maybe it's a Google Hangout, I don't know, uh, with this drug lord, uh, to tell him that they didn't, you know, they don't really know anything else about where the rest of the money is, or, or anything like that. And uh, the, the drug lord is like, uh, cut off his toes, he'll talk. And they're like, boss, we, we already cut two of his toes off. Cut off another. Because if if you already have two of your toes cut off, you didn't tell them everything, and <laughs> there's some off chance that if you do lose another toe, that's when you're going to be fully honest. <laughs> like after the first toe, you would, you'd be telling them everything about your entire life and anything they want to know, even stuff they don't even want to know. I would be like the guy, the kid from Goonies, the fat kid who was trying to have his hand blended off. I'd be telling him about my childhood and shit. If I lost one toe, let alone two. And don't you think the the power of the act is kind of lost after the second toe? <laughs> like the first one, there's the horror of, oh my gosh, you cut off my toe. Ah! And you're like, I'm going to be toeless for the rest of my life. And they cut off another one, you're like, oh, the pain. Uh, well, I mean, I was already missing one toe. So, you know, what's another toe? And then a third. Really, a third? There's nothing really to lose at that point. Like, cut off all the toes at that point. You don't really have anything to hang on to except for a freaky-looking foot. But it was the, the horrible acting after the, the guy's like, No! No, no, don't cut off my other toe! Don't cut off my other toe! And they cut off. He's like, Oh! Yeah, I don't know anything else. <laughs> Just calm! Ah! It's so funny. Uh, another thing I liked about this show, the uh, the female lead that Mel Gibson has a, I don't know, it's not really a, it's not really like a sexual thing with, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's this weird back and forth between them, I don't know, but there is an attraction there, or, or at least develops into an attraction, and she's not, I mean, she's not like stunning, and that's, that's what's fantastic about this, I mean, you could really picture her in a place like this, she's not ugly, I mean, she, she's attractive, but She's not wearing makeup in the traditional American sense of wearing makeup. She's very just normal looking. She has a bit of a belly on her. Not not a, a lot. She's not thick or anything. 
but she's also not like all trim like you would expect to see in like an American movie. So it was refreshing to see that. Uh, and she was a mother. She did a really good job, in my opinion, of acting like a mother when it was appropriate and acting like a very strong woman um, during the rest of the movie. I mean, you have to see this show. If you like action shows, you will love Get the Gringo. It is out on Blu-ray and DVD right now and even streaming online. So check it out. Get the Gringo. It's well worth it if you are an action fan. And even if you hate Mel Gibson... Okay, well, if you hate Mel Gibson, then you shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't see this movie. But if you haven't seen him in this type of a role, like in Payback, uh, you should see it just to be exposed. And actually, if you have a choice between the two, I would choose Payback. <laughs> but I'm talking about this because it just came out and it's actually a really good show. All right, and that's going to do it. Yeah, that's going to do it for yet another show. I know it was really long. Thank you for uh, sitting through it. I had a lot of things I wanted to sort of cover on all these different topics I was covering on this episode. So thank you so much for sitting through it. Uh, and that's going to do it for another show. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe by iTunes by searching 9 sense. And don't forget to leave a rating or comment if you do. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com and online streaming radio station. Now, once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!